Hey everyone, Jace here. Before we get to the episode, I wanted to tell you about a campaign for an awesome creator-owned book that's going on right now over at Zoop. Axewilder John is the story of a savage journey into the heart of a man driven mad by love, by hate, by power, as he is hounded by hordes of relentless enemies who will stop at nothing to reclaim what John has stolen. This is a real passion project for writer-artist Nick Patera, as he's drawing inspiration from creators he loves, such as Frank Quietly, Jeff Darrow, and Mobius, among others. The book is also a deeply personal tale for Nick. He conceived a lot of the character and stories while his family was dealing with health challenges for his youngest daughter. Just like real life, the story is much more complicated than it might seem at first glance. And the axe-wielding barbarian at the heart of the story may be much, much more relatable than your average bloodthirsty warrior. The project's already fully funded, so go join the campaign, and you're guaranteed to get this full-color, oversized, hardcover edition. Just visit zoop.gg to check it out. Everybody, Rocky here with another comic source, comic boom collaboration. You will note today that I am going solo. I'm flying solo here. Uh, Jace is Jace is a busy guy. Uh, reviewing comic books is not our. Uh, I guess it's not our respective day jobs. So uh, Jace is uh, tied up with work, and so for this particular week, fortunately, it's a small week, so there's not a lot of comic books to review. <laughs> Let me see. We got Catwoman. We got Shadow Wars. We got Shadow War Zone. We got Batman: The Night. We got Wonder Woman: Evolution, the third issue of World's Finest. We got a premiere of a milestone comic called Duo. We got uh, Fables returning. Bill Willingham's Fables returning with issue one fifty one. We've got Wonder Woman: Evolution number seven, and uh, we've got an issue of Flash and Nightwing as well. So hopefully, uh, uh, hopefully you'll be able to put up with me, and I uh, will be able to get through this. It's always difficult to do this. Uh, by myself without having Jace around. I know he's gone solo a few times, but in any event, we I'm going to try to get through all this, and we're going to st- uh, we're just going to start off right away with uh, the first issue here of a comic book called Duo. Now, Duo is a comic book that is published by uh, Milestone, and I guess it takes place on Earth M which is right on the cover, which is interesting. I don't know if there actually is an Earth M, but I guess there is now. I've never, of all the 52 Earths in the multiverse or in the universe or in the multiverse, I'm not sure if we actually have an Earth M, but in the DC Omniverse, now we have Earth M. I guess that makes sense. Earth M for Milestone. And Duo actually represents this particular comic book, uh, which is, I should say here, it's uh, written by uh, Greg Pack. And uh, Hoy Pham is the artist, and Scott Hanna does the colors, and Chris Sotomayor, uh, Sotomayor I believe, is the colorist as well. And in any event, this comic book, it uh, deals with the milestone character that was 
previously known as Zombie, Zombie X. O-M-B-I, and I, it premiered way back in 1996. You can still get some of the, those issues on back issues, but in any event, this uh, I really like the, the renaming of this, and this, this is a very interesting story. Now, I, I am just getting familiar with a lot of the heroes of the Milestone universe because back in 1996, I never really, I never really got into it very much, and I quite enjoy what I'm reading for uh, Icon and Rocket and Static. I'm, and hardware, I'm actually enjoying those comic books. With DC, with the mainstream DC universe, I think maybe suffering a little bit uh, in terms of trying to get on their feet, uh, in terms of some of the, 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 well, just the overall feel of some of their stories. And maybe it's, maybe it's just me, but other than the DC crisis uh, stories and Joshua Williamson, uh, I think the mainstream DC universe has lost its way a little bit. But one thing that I've always thought was has had a solid footing was the milestone line. I think I think it's because it's a tighter knit continuity, and maybe it's just that it's different. It, it feels different, and, and it is different. And, and I, I kind of like the change a little bit. And plus, it's an easy continuity to get into the milestone universe. And I would encourage anybody if you're looking for something different, and if you're if you're looking for something that is outside the DC universe. Also, but published by DC Comics, but outside the DC universe, and uh, really a very interesting universe in its own right, with its own mythology, easy to catch on to. Checking out the the milestone line that's come out in the last year from DC would definitely be the way to go. So now we have this premier issue of Duo, and uh, right off the bat, right off the bat with this issue of Duo, we're introduced with the main characters who are. Uh, well, they're in bed and they're being intimate and their names are David and Kelly. And David and Kelly are, uh, it is established that obviously they love each other. They're in a relationship and they're scientists and they're scientists and they're very excited because they're about to make their pitch for more funding because they want to focus on regeneration. They want to focus on on a cell's, abil- a cell's ability to regener- regenerate. And as they're walking to work to make their pitch to their boss, they're walking by uh, various parts of Dakota, what I assume is Dakota City, and they see homeless people there, and and they're both very intelligent, and they look at people, and and at one point, uh, you know, David basically says osteoporosis, alcoholism. They emphasize they can look at people and almost identify what they suffer from, and and what they want to do is they they've created basically technology that consists of nanites that can essentially. Uh, for any life form, regenerate unhealthy cells in any life form to preserve it. So it's actually sort of a sort of a way to, for almost human beings to uh, obtain longevity. They got nanobots developed and trained through forty five hundred generations over six years. They've they've uh, so they've really advanced this technology, and these cells identify any injured section in the target organism and insert themselves into individual cells and help replicate it. And they're explaining this to their boss, uh, Dr. Morris, Dr. Marias Chung, director of the uh, Healerist New Research Initiative. And, and they need funding. And, uh, what, and that's really what they're asking for is funding. And it's, it's a type of AI that AI that's capable of making uh, trillions of calculations per second, but that's why they need funding to create a computer powerful enough to do all these calculations. But in the meantime, their boss is telling them, look, this is going to take time. You guys appreciate you guys have got a lot on the go here and that you're very excited, but this stuff takes time. 
and he actually refuses them. And he says, uh, now right away, that seems absurd. Why would anybody in their right mind when they just were able to show it? Because early on in this issue, they, it, sh it shows them clearly replicating an injured plant. And so very, the, anyone with a, with a functioning brain could tell that this is a, a, a worthwhile endeavor to invest in. And so right away as a, any astute reader can know that their boss is probably just feeding them a line of hype and is going to end up being a bad guy. And that's exactly it. And as it turns out, as it turns out, uh, when they return, their, their boss rejects them. Uh, but he says it, it's admirable and he, he sees, he, he appreciates what they're trying to do. So he offers to buy them out for a billion dollars, like saying, thanks. We don't want, we don't really need you along, but we'll buy your, research for $1 billion. And of course, they're very skeptical. If you're offering us $1 billion, it's probably worth $10 billion. And so, so they reject the offer and they essentially go, uh, they essentially go home. And ultimately, they end up uh, later that night, uh, they end up being attacked by these really goofy looking mechanical creatures, which I'm assuming are, they seem mechanical. Uh, but they, they they seem they seem mechanical. They don't. Uh, at first, I thought maybe they were just really skinny humans in mechanical garb. But no, they're they're attacked by these creatures or these mechanical robot-like uh, creatures. And uh, you know, David is right away attacked, and seemingly it looks like he's burned to death and killed. And then Kelly is burned to death and seemingly killed right thereafter. And it looks like they're burning up, but. Here's where the art gets a little bit uh, interesting, and I'm not entirely sure. Uh, the art here is really good, by the way. Uh, Hoi Pham does a really good job on the art. Uh, but at the same time, the, when in the scene where both David and Kelly are slowly being killed or burned alive, it looks like there's, it almost looks like there's maybe some sort of little nanobots infusing with them. So I think it's a very, I thought, I thought the art was very well done here because it's, uh, I was questioning, are they being burned alive? How exactly are they meeting their demise here? And I, and as it turns out, as I discovered, as I was, as you read the for later on in the issue, these are the right questions that I'm asking because while it looks like they're burning up, they're burning up in such a way that the the nanobots that uh, apparently uh, Kelly has in her body, the nanobots healed her, but also her consciousness ends up getting melded in with her 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 partner and lover uh, David. So David and Ka Kelly are, are are essentially merged in one. So it's almost like for those those fans of Firestorm, it, it might be similar to the Firestorm character in the DC universe. But frankly. I actually find this more interesting <laughs> than Ronnie Raymond and uh, Professor Stein and the Firestorm Matrix. I actually find this more interesting. I, I like this dynamic between Kelly and David where, because these nanobots are such that they can heal from almost anything and they've, they got, they got, they got ability. He's almost, it's impossible. Kelly can't be harmed. So, you know, pardon me, David can't be harmed. I guess David slash Kelly, but it's David's body that is really in control but Kelly uh, has just much as much control over his mind, over the mind and the body as David does. So it's an interesting dichotomy. Hence the name of the book, Duo. It's very, uh, it's very well done, and the cover is just fantastic. It's an absolutely beautiful cover here, and there's a number of covers here. There's three covers to this series. I, it, it, this is just truly, this is beautiful, and I'm so glad that they changed the name to Duo because I don't know the original name Zombie. 
uh, which I think was kind of a dumb name. Uh, I, I like this aspect. I really love the concept here because it's because uh, even though it might seem a little bit tropey, the idea of AI and nanobots and, and healing, we've seen we've seen this similar type of storyline on in different movies and in comics before, but. Frankly, it's nice to see this, I, and I, I think it's so much more can be can be explored with with this type of storyline that I don't think that this type of mythology, this type of origin, I think there's so many places that you can go with it that are still remain largely unexplored because it deals with the idea of AI, and ultimately. Uh, David ends up being attacked by these same creatures that killed him because, of course, they notice he's still alive. Why? How, how did he survive? And it ends up that these creatures, while they end up being incapacitated, David discovers the existence that Kelly, Kelly is still alive. He thought his partner, his, 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 his partner and, and lover, that she was killed. But he discovers that she's not, that she's actually part of his consciousness, which is very fascinating. And again, the art here is just fantastic. And... It's clear here that uh, he's got gold glowing eyes and he's got this gold-like sort of costume that creates, molds itself around him. And it's interesting. It's always interesting how he, I, I don't know, did he create that costume himself? He must have. Why did he pick that particular color? I don't know. <laughs> I just, I guess he instinctively knew to give himself a costume that looked kind of cool. But it does look pretty cool. I really like the, the look of uh, David and Kelly when they're sort of in their duo form. I'm not sure if that is their name or what they're going to call themselves, but duo is, is actually a, a pretty cool name uh, I, I, and, and obviously self-explanatory. But it's, it's obvious here that they want, to, uh, they want to get to the bottom of, of this. They know that likely it's probably easy for them to put together who made the attempt on their life. But there's, but Marius, uh, the doctor, Doctor Marius, their boss, who basically offered to buy them out for one billion dollars, and his offer was rejected. Obviously, he didn't take very kindly to that. And he says at the end, he says the humans think they're going to save the world, and by humans, I think he was referring to David and Kelly, because they they wanted to save the world. They wanted to save the world by essentially making humans like very, very healthy and so that they could heal themselves and essentially making humans immortal. Although they weren't thinking so much so far that far ahead, they just wanted to help people. But, uh, you know, Marius, of course, presumptively an arrogant bastard that he is, thinks that he can somehow, he, he sees farther into the future as, if any, as anybody else does than anybody else. But of course he doesn't. He's just a low-life piece of human garbage who happens to have a lot of money. And of course he wants all the power for himself, but he's also immortal. And uh, uh, in his mind, there, the true purpose, uh, the true people that should be saving humanity are immortals. And so... The next issue promises to be Rise of the Immutables, Immutables, which is interesting because this Dr. Uh, Marius appears to be immortal himself. And the, the final page reveal is very interesting because it shows a group of, it looks like, uh, uh, pardon me, three, six, nine, twelve, like twelve individuals that are all apparently immortal and he wants them to save the uh, the world so you can imagine that if you're a group of 12 immortals that appear at the end of this issue and how would you react if suddenly a human being could could make every other human on the planet immortal you would lose your special status as being immortal so you might have a vested interest to destroy anybody that could essentially create permanent healing or immortality so i'm interested i'm curious what the premise here uh i'm i 
I enjoy the premise. I think it's interesting. I think it's an, a nice twist on it. I'm really curious to see where Greg Pak is going to take this. Uh, so I'm I'm definitely in. I'm I'm as interested in this just like I was after the first issue of Icon and Rocket, which is my favorite milestone title so far. But I got to tell you, man, this is automatically at least second at this point, and this possibly could very quickly become uh, the first, my favorite milestone issue. I really like the concept of this. Again, maybe a little tropey for some people, but I like the idea, and I, I'm really curious to see where it goes because uh, Greg Pak. I like Craig Pack. I, I like he's. Uh, I, I like. I've, I've liked a lot of his writing over the years, from when he was on Action Comics through when he was even on uh, Agents of Atlas for Marvel. So I'm curious to see where he takes this. So now the next issue that we're going to review is going to be, I believe it's going to be Flash. Yes, Flash issue seven eighty two. And uh, let me see here. Just let me get started. This is where uh, I, I don't have the benefit of having Chase as I as I work the controls here on my uh, on the U on my on my computer. Uh, Chase could also cover for me and talk while I'm uh, uh, going about my computer nonsense. But in any event, Flash seven eighty two, Jer- written writer Jeremy Adams, uh, artist. Uh, uh, Passerin, let me see, let me try to find the page with all the full credits here. Yes, Jeremy Adams is the writer. F- Fernando Passerin and Matt Ryan are the artists. Jeremy Cox and Peter uh, Pantazis uh, is on the colors. Rob Lay on the letters. And Brandon Peterson and Michael Ateye on the cover. And Todd Nook on the variant cover. And... This issue picks up right where the last issue ended uh, with with Wally with Wally West uh, having an adventure with Wallace West, and and what's interesting is uh, we we the adventure that Wally and Wallace are having in this issue is sort of juxtaposed against uh, Linda Linda Park. Uh, Slowly, dis, you know, slowly once again developing her speed powers. Now she hasn't told her children, uh, Jay and Irie, that she's got super speed. Uh, so literally, the entire family now has super speed. You got Wally West with super speed, and you had Jay and Irie being super speedsters that just recently have been were able to channel into the speed force again, and they've got their powers back. And but not only did they get their powers back, but now Linda Park herself has got. Uh, Linda Park West has got powers, superpowers herself. And she really loves it because she gets to do her writing at super speed. And in this issue, she ends up taking Jay and Irie to the park. Uh, they they And they end up playing. Irie almost gets hit by a car. And then Linda saves Irie. And only to, and, and that's when Jay and Irie themselves, Jay and Irie, the kids, they discover that their mom has uh, superpowers and has super speed. And it's like, oh boy, now we have they're going to have to tell dad. And so while that's going on, Wally and Wallace are taking out Girder and they take out the Girder escape from Iron Heights penitentiary and there's there's a great great dialogue here. Jeremy Adams does a really good job with dialogue. Jeremy Adams, he understands this character, he understands Wally, he understands he understands the relationship but any uh, between the importance of the relationship between Wally West and his kids and his wife. And it, he, you know, the dialogue here is, is really well. And the rapport that Wally and Wallace have 
as they take down Girder and they sort of create a magnet through their connection to the Speed Force. And Girder ends up being sort of crushed between two vehicles. And they return Girder back to Iron Heights and Iron Heights Penitentiary. And right away, something seems off because the warden seems rather uh, blase about it. And the warden doesn't really seem to be uh, as surprised or concerned that that one of their inmates who escaped is, is suddenly returned by Wally and Wallace, uh, Wally uh, by, by Flash and Kid Flash. And something is definitely, is definitely off. And so it just feels weird to Wally. And so he wants to investigate. And so uh, that's exactly what he does. They investigate. Uh, he goes back to the science lab, takes Wallace with, with him, and he introduces Wallace to the rest of his, his group, the, and I guess the rest of his supporting cast at the terrific, you know, at the terrific headquarters or the terrific labs or whatever the hell they call it. Uh, terrific. I don't know. What is it called? Terrific Incorporated or... I forget the name of Mr. Mr. Terrific's uh, corporation because Wally Wally West works for Mr. Terrific as essentially sort of like a, a quasi scientist, even though he's not that bright. He's got a lot of he's got a lot of uh, uh, experience utilizing the Speed Force, and so he's he's more of the hands on guy that can give the scientists the practical side and the practical experience of knowing what it's like to actually be in the Speed Force and to understand something about time and quantum mechanics and all the other crazy stuff that they work on in uh, Mr. Terrific's lab. But in any event, uh, it becomes obvious that the, the warden of Ironhide's penitentiary is corrupt, and he doesn't want, whatever he's up to, he doesn't want Girder to say anything because he had intentionally let Girder go. Girder ends up being, uh, unfortunately... Uh, uh, killed by the by the warden, and uh, meanwhile you got a lot you got some good character moments here between again Wally and Wallace again. Uh, Wall, uh, Wally West is, is 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 putting together his own vehicle, his own car, and he 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 shows Wallace some some stealth suits that they have because they decide they're going to break into Iron Heights Penitentiary. Of course, they're gonna, sounds like a crazy stupid thing to do, but kind of cool from a comic book perspective. <laughs> you can see Wally and Wallace. Doing something like that, so they agree they're gonna they're gonna break into Iron Heights Penitentiary, break into a prison to find out what the warden's up to, or some something's amiss. And of course, that when they do break into the prison, uh, they 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 see that Girder appears to have been uh, crushed uh, because the uh, the, the magnet the magnetic effect that they created. Uh, it looks like Girder has been essentially crushed and killed by all the metal that was magnetized to him. And uh, actually, I, I suppose it could be Wally and Wallace. It could be suspects in his murder, if you think about it. But I don't know if that's the route where Jer writer Jeremy Adams is going with this. But it's quite clear that in, in breaking into the prison, they uh, it's quite clear that something is amiss. And uh, the warden here talks about what his agenda is. He does have a plan. And uh, he wants to become mayor. He has a plan. And uh, he's, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what his shenanigans are yet, but it's going to be interesting to see. In the meantime, uh, before they can figure out where to go next in their investigation, uh, Wally and Wallace end up going back home. 
And before Linda can tell Wally anything about her newfound powers, because her kids are prompting Linda, hey, mom, you better tell dad about your super speed powers because it's kind of (laughs) cool. Suddenly he gets called away uh, by, he gets contacted by uh, uh, Bibbo, the detective chimp, who wants to tell him about the Justice League. Presumably, I'm assuming he wants to be told about the death of the Justice League. And so he takes off. And the next issue is going to be the search for Barry Allen, which is a dark crisis tie-in. And of course, that's pretty cool because I, I really like what Joshua Williamson is doing. I'm excited about the Dark Crisis. I thought Justice League issue 75 was very intriguing, was very interesting. I was fast paced, adrenaline rush, a lot of action resulting in the death of the Justice League. Uh, however, one of the Justice League members that was not killed was Wally West because he wasn't among them. So Wally West, along with Nightwing, it's nice to know that Nightwing and Wally West are still among the heroes, along with the other legacy heroes that are still around to do battle against the forces of the great ar- uh, dark army uh, of Pariah. And so next issue of uh, Flash promises to be uh, quite a good one. And I'm looking forward to that. And so that takes us to the end of uh, Flash issue 782. Now, the next issue that we are going to review is uh, Superman and Batman World's Finest issue number three. Uh, this is written by Mark Wade with gr- fantastic art by Dan Mo- Mo- Mora. Dan Mora. And colors by uh, Bon, uh, yeah, Bon Villain. So let me see here. Let's uh, let's get into this. Um, great variant cover. A L- lot of goofy covers for World's Finest. Let me just say. Let me just start off uh, by saying this about uh, World's Finest is that this is Mark Wade who's having a lot of fun with these characters. It's so obvious that Mark Wade knows Superman, knows Batman. He knows how these two communicate with each other. He's excellent at dialogue. He nails the dialogue here. These are characters that they they know each other, they care for each other as a, as a, as a, as a duo and uh, uh, and it's Mark Wade is masterful at weaving so many different players into a single issue. We got Felix Faust here who is uh who is who is utilizing his own powers to to he tried to pull one up on Superman last issue. Superman will have none of it this issue. He could eat, Felix Foss is creating a lot of illusions in this issue. Superman again could detect the followed went with his hearing detected detected a fourth heartbeat for people in the room. There was there's seemingly only three people in the room. He detected a fourth heartbeat. He deduced that it was Felix Foss. So you don't. You know, Batman's not the only one who, who possesses an iota of intelligence in terms of detective work and to be able to figure things out. Mark Wade does a good job here of making Superman not only powerful, but also intelligent as well. And uh, again, uh, it's uh, Tamara Bonvillain does the colors. Uh, Aditya Bitterheart on the letters and Dad Mora artist and cover. And uh, now... In the first two issues, the first two issues were set up for this this devil Niza, devil Niza or Neza. The devil Neza is this is this villain that was which was this ultimate evil force that was has been released. And this the origin of this villain was such that he basically uh, he's been released after essentially being sort of in caged for thousands of uh, of years, and he is possessing he's possessing various 
villains in the DC universe. And unfortunately for Batman and Superman, this devil Nisa could, could basically possess anybody. And while Batman and Superman are trying to help a possessed Billy Batson, you know, uh, uh, fight off the, I guess the possession of the devil Nisa, the doom patrol are in Switzerland trying to get to the, uh, or trying to discover, uh, as much as they can from the, they end up uh, checking out uh, an old doom, uh, an old doom patrol villain called the general, seeing what he might know in terms of uh, how they can defeat, uh, how can they can, how they can defeat the, the, uh, the devil Nisa. And again, that's uh, the devil. uh, That's an odd name. The devil Nezha. I'm going to continue to say that wrong and butcher it, but so be it. But great art by Dan Mora. I love the I love the Doom Patrol. I haven't seen these guys in such a long time. Uh, and Mark Wade has a different take on the general. The general is actually suffering from dementia here, and it's actually kind of tragic because he he can't even remember that the Doom Patrol are his arch enemies, and they actually feel sorry for him. And Meanwhile, in the distant past, Supergirl and Robin are trying to communicate with uh, and they're, the past that they're in. They're in the distant uh, past, 2579 BC in China, and they're, they're trying to convince a group of uh, – uh, they're trying to convince the group of 10 heroes in the past that originally defeated – uh, the devil Nisa and caged him because they want to find out how to cage him so they can come back to the present and start and cage him once again. And of course it's, uh, what Mark Wade does very well and it is tropey, but it works. And it's a lot of interesting and fun action is it's like the heroes, of course they initially meet and they, they misunderstand each other. They get into a great big battle and then they realize, Oh, well they're on the same side and then they communicate, shake hands, and then they're going to communicate and figure stuff out. And in the meantime, we meet these group of characters and um, Supergirl tells these 10, these people, look, you're, you're legends, you're legends of our past. And we came to ask for your help. And it's Shiyu who has the power of river waters. There's Ho or Huo or How of H-U-O. I don't know how to pronounce these, this stuff. How who channels the sun, Kong Ki, commander of the winds, DQ, uh, deals with the forces of the earth. And in any event, uh, uh, they're trying to figure out, they need to know how to stop to, uh, how to construct a special tomb designed to hold the devil Niza. And they're not really sure how to do that. And, but there's something that this, this group is not telling them. And because even if they can get the devil Nisa into this tomb, they, there's apparently some complication involved in sealing the door once he's in the tomb. And we don't really know, it's not revealed by the end of this issue exactly what the catch is. Uh, this is a story written by Mark Wade. So, you know, there's always a catch to it and you know, it's always going to be interesting and intriguing. Uh, in the meantime, there is a great interaction between Flash, Mirror Master, Superman and Batman help out uh, because Mirror Master is possessed by the devil Nisa. Uh, they try to recruit Wonder Woman. They find out that uh, Wonder Woman is in fact being attacked by Dr. Alchemy and Batman tries to help Wonder Woman only to discover that Dr. Alchemy is possessed by the devil Nisa as well. And Superman uh, manages, Superman and Batman manage to essentially 
win out, defeat Dr. Alchemy and defeat uh, Mirror Master and essentially win the day. But then they discover that that Devil Nisa is not only possessed villains, but he's possessed heroes. And they find themselves having to confront Hal Jordan Green Lantern by the end of the issue. And they also discover that the Devil Nisa has also possessed uh, Alfred in the Batcave. So all the information that Batman and Superman are getting through the through the Heroes Network of the Batcave and all these other uh, all their other sources of information through the Heroes Network, as it's become to be called uh, in other titles, it's it's compromised because the Devil Nisa, his his influence, he's he's very smart. He's caught on to the way this new uh, world works quite quite quickly, and he's a force to be reckoned with. And again, uh, the next issue is going to be entitled Two Against the World. And you know, Batman and Superman have their work cut out for him. Uh, Mark Wade, he's at the top of his game here. This is entertaining. This is fun. The stakes are, are clear. It's, it's, it possesses a lot of verisimilitude. The character work is great. The dialogue is spot on. The, the moments, the, the humor is there. The action is there. And all the all and all the superhero tropes are there as well in, in many ways and in all the good ways. So I quite enjoy this, and I strongly recommend people if you're going to be uh, want to pick up something that's accessible, easy to get into and enjoy. Pick up World's Finest. She's one through three so far. You'll quite enjoy it. Again, written by Mark Wade, art by Dan Mora, and colors by uh, Tamara uh, Bonvillain. Uh, well worth it. Well worth it. So, all right. Continuing on, our next issue that we are going to be reviewing is Wonder Woman Evolution Issue 7. Now, I just want to, the first thing I want to say is uh, the, uh, well, well, the cover art here, I wanted to say the cover art is by uh, Stephanie, uh, oh, this Stefano Raphael is the artist, which is interesting. I, the art I would have thought is was by yeah Mike Hawthorne. Mike Hawthorne and Jordi Belair do the cover. So the cover, the standard cover here is by uh, Mike Hawthorne. Colors by Jordi Belair. The interior art is actually the interior art is actually by uh, an artist, Stefano. Stefano Raphael, which uh, I don't, I got mixed feelings about. I'm not, I'm not really sure. It's not bad. It's not bad. I think that uh, uh, it's actually, it's not bad. It's actually, he's, he's, he's fairly decent at backgrounds and, and what have you. I, I can't, I can't complain. He's, he does a good job of rendering Wonder Woman and uh, both the past and the present with various iterations and I think it's it's he's got some similar uh, uh, similar artistic tendencies as Mike Hawthorne does. But I want to give a shout out to uh, to the there's a variant cover here that is just I think is incredible a, a, a variant cover by Gary Frank and Brad Anderson. This variant cover here with Wonder Woman a holding up the severed head of Medusa. It's got actually nothing to do with what takes place in the issue itself. 
Although Wonder Woman is having multiple adventures in the issue because she's hooked up to a mind machine that's feeding her different adventures. So theoretically, she could be having all kinds of different adventures because she's had multiple different types of adventures that have been implanted in her head in the in the storyline. We'll get to that. But uh, the the art here, the, the the variant cover, I think this is the one to pick up. By uh, it's incredible, Gary Frank and Brad Anderson. Wow. Uh, absolutely fantastic cover. I definitely want to be picking that up. I'm hoping that's just a variant cover, a cover B, because if that's just a cover B, that's great. With my luck, it's probably going to be a 1 in 25, in which case I won't be picking it up because I don't believe in 1 in 25 uh, covers. Uh, it's just a comic book company's way of screwing over loyal fans. But that's just me. And in any event, Stephanie Phillips, uh, Part 7, Wonder Woman Evolution. Here we learn more about this, this particular businessman that is uh, essentially, we know that Wonder Woman, we, we discovered last issue that, uh, you know, all, all these adventures, these crazy adventures that Wonder Woman has experienced, starting with issue one, this idea that she's, she was kidnapped by gods who want to put humanity on trial and 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 they're going to test Wonder Woman and depending on how Wonder Woman passes these tests that they're going to give Wonder Woman they're going to pass judgment on humanity either and if humanity survives the judgment they're going to continue to exist and if they don't they'll destroy humanity well that ended up to be a whole bunch of misdirection because as it turned out Wonder Woman is it was revealed last issue and hinted at in earlier issues that Wonder Woman is just essentially hooked up to machines uh, and by her being uh, uh, Wonder Woman being hooked up to machines, uh, it she's imagining all this stuff happening to her, and essentially what's what's going on is that this this, this bad guy, this bad corrupt businessman, he is he's he essentially uh, is a guy that uh, was essentially trying to uh, create. Uh, create a perfect warrior and he's doing it through the silver swan and again he's he wants to he it looks as if he wants to have wonder woman go through all these adventures and have a computer sort of uh track and to track and to incorporate all of how wonder woman reacts into these adventures that they that this computer is feeding into wonder woman how wonder woman reacts and fights within the confines of these these constructed battle sequences that are taking place in wonder woman's mind in this sort of like this matrix world and and how Wonder Woman deals with those and the decisions that Wonder Woman makes tactically and strategically, all those things I think are fed into the Silver Swan to make Silver Swan that much more powerful. So that when Wonder Woman eventually breaks out of this machine, this businessman, who even though he was ostensibly initially hired by the U.S. military to try to actually uh, uh, utilize nanites to heal soldiers on the battlefield. He wants to use the nanites to create a perfect warrior. And uh, early on in the issue, in one of the flashback sequences, one of the generals gets very, very uh, angry with uh, gets very angry with this uh, uh, Doctor Hill, saying, "What have you done? I mean, are you crazy? I mean, I'm shutting this down, dog. You're 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 nothing. You're you're just insane." And 
And Dr. Hill says, look, our technology isn't what needs to advance. We are. The human race needs to advance. We as humans need to become better than what we are because what we are is weak and we're pathetic and we're fragile. So the goal of Dr. Hill is to advance humanity through this, this use of this sort of like this, I guess, this computer and nanotechnology. And that's his goal. Whereas, uh, I mean, ironically enough, for once, the U.S. military is not the bad guy here. They actually, they actually wanted to use it for uh, an actual healing properties and not, not for villainous purposes. But this, this, milita- this general guy is angry at Dr. Earl saying, what are you doing? You actually made a supervillain, Silver Swan, instead of healing her, you actually made her worse. You made her more powerful than ever before. Are you, you're obviously insane. And of course he is. He's, he's, he's insane. And, uh, and then it, subsequent to that, this Dr. Hill is rehired by another representative of what I can assume is a secret organization of some kind. And ultimately, Wonder Woman is having, again, she's having these, frankly, what end up to be what we've known for since at least six issues now, all her adventures are a complete waste of time. That's the sad part. That's my criticism of this series. Pretty much every single thing that Wonder Woman has experienced from the beginning of this series till now has been almost, from a plot perspective, completely superfluous. It hasn't really been necessary. It's been cool. We've seen we've seen Mike Harthorn show off his art and we've got some beautiful colors and some beautiful artwork. Don't get me wrong. But from a story perspective, this has been a really, really decompressed tale. And this could have been done in two issues, three at the most uh, so far. But it is what it is. Uh, Wonder Woman, you know, she finally escapes, uh, you know, this, this dream world. And and she's really crazy and she's she's upset and she's saying the things that we readers are saying by now and is you know what does this prove tell me tell me what and it's true that's exactly what I as a reader am saying what does this prove writer stephanie phillips she clearly has something to say here but it's taken her a long time to say it and ultimately what is she trying to say like you know as wonder woman herself says in this issue what does this prove all right I mean, what does this prove? She's saying to her enemy, you, you've got me trapped in this virtual world that isn't real. Why am I here? What's the point of all this? And uh, it ends up being that, uh, it, you know, again, through just a long, protracted, meaningless series of, of Wonder Woman hitting things and hitting different illusions of Superman as a zombie and, and other creatures that just end up crumbling away. All of it's for naught because we know it's not real. And uh, she ends up trying to attack the Dr. Hill, but she ends up being attacked by Silver Swan. And 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 that's going to take us to the next issue of the final evolution, which is interesting because I, I see that I hear the word, I, I read the words that the final issue is going to be entitled the final evolution. And I think of the final solution because at one point, I thought we were going to get it like we, she was actually in Nuremberg in the past in, in the matrix. And I thought you think of Nuremberg, you think of Nazis, you think of the extermination of the Jews, you think of the final solution and you think of how horrible humanity can be. And, you know, and here this Dr. Hill is Hill, Dr. Hill is trying to improve on humanity. And so in many ways with humanity, we can get so dark and gloomy and horrible in our worst acts, maybe improving upon humanity is a good idea. But the way Dr. Hill wants to improve upon humanity is to improve upon it uh, by building 
upon our worst and darkest tendencies and infuse them into Silver Swan, as opposed to the higher elements of our nature, of which is embodied by Wonder Woman. It's it's really odd. I, I, I'm a little bit cur- odd. I'm, I'm thinking if this Dr. Hill wanted to infuse uh, darkness and infuse some power hungry or some some strategic or tactical knowledge or genius on Silver Swan. I'm not sure necessarily why he would go to Wonder Woman for that. Wonder Woman is all about kindness and compassion, compassion and virtue. She's she's not she doesn't embody at all the darker aspects of humanity. So to have her hook up to the Matrix seems a little odd to me, but maybe was was he trying to get just Wonder Woman's tactical experience or the way Wonder Woman fights in battle. Like, I'm not sure what's the connection between Wonder Woman hooked up to this Matrix and Silver Swan. What was the point of Wonder Woman? What did Dr. Hill get from Wonder Woman being locked into this Matrix for for seven issues? What did he get out of it other than a pissed off Amazon? I'm not, I don't get it. Uh, he got some, so is he taking Wonder Woman's anger and putting the anger into Silver Swan and now Silver Swan is attacking Wonder Woman? I, I don't really, I, I'm not really sure I'm getting what, 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 what the gist or point of all this was. And even the theme here seems all wacky now. I'm not sure, well, what's the message of this? What's the actual theme? So this seems, this started off as what could have been a, a profound or even an interesting theme and it's 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 I, unfortunately it's evolved into something <laughs> evolved. <laughs> the evolution, uh, this entire story has evolved into uh, a story that I don't find as interesting as I did when I first started reading it, and that's unfortunate. Um, but uh, we'll see. Uh, Wonder Woman always usually tends. Uh, I, I suspect Wonder Woman is just going to end issue seven with a speech. Uh, this is issue seven, so the final issue will be issue eight. She'll end issue eight with a speech, uh, and because that's that's usually how Wonder Woman is. That's the tropey thing to do with Wonder Woman. That's why most writers don't do anything new with her. Uh, we've seen all kinds of tropey things with Clunrad uh, on Wonder Woman, and uh, I'm hoping we can we can avoid some of the tropes here with Stephanie Phillips uh, when we get the final issue of issue eight. Uh, but we shall see. We shall see. But that's the review of Wonder Woman Evolution number seven. Now, the next one. Uh, what is next? The next issue we're going to read is Batman the Night issue five. All right. Batman the Night issue five, written by Chip Sardaski, with art by D. Garnama King. Um, I'm going to butcher this name too, but let me, let me just uh, bring up the, uh, the full credits here. Um, one of the interesting things about these credits is that they will often put them on the last page. Stupid thing to do. If I was, uh, if I was an editor in chief of any comic book company, I would make it a rule that, uh, you will not be able to write the comic book, uh, if you put the credits on the last page. Why? Because the credits go on the first page. Uh, anyways, it's written by Trip Sardaski, art and cover by Carmine D. Gio Domenico and color by even Placencia, lettering by Pat Brousseau. The art here by Carmine Di uh, Gio Domenico is excellent. I, I quite enjoy the art. I've I, I can't fault it for that. This um this issue uh it it well last issue ended with 
Bruce Wayne actually acquiring sort of a partner in his quest to better himself, to to give himself extra training, to train his body and his mind to become the man that will one day be Batman. And this individual, this new partner who's following him around is Anton. That's his name. Now, that's not his real name. Uh, but So we, we suspect that Anton is in fact the future ghost maker. And there's more clues in this particular issue that Anton is in fact the ghost maker. But this involves, they end up here in their adventures. They, uh, Anton and Bruce Wayne end up in jail uh, for uh, 13 days. They end up in jail uh, because they end up getting caught. Uh, they end up getting caught uh, trying to break into uh, an office on Moscow, trying to spot Avery Oblonsky. And Avery is an ex-KGB freelance operative who frequently worked for the organizations that popped up when the KGB went under. And uh, this in individual that they're looking for, Avery Oblonsky, is on Ducard, uh, uh, Henri Ducard's list in terms of people that you should want to train you. And, and uh, Avery Oblonsky, who Bruce Wayne and Anton, who we think is Ghostmaker, is looking for her to help train them in the art of essentially espionage and deception. Now, as it turns out, uh, this was all part of a, a, a essentially a, kind of like a ruse. It was all sort of a test. Uh, Avery uh, Oblonsky was just sort of testing them. And so ultimately, when at some point the the while they're incarcerated, their cell their cell doors are left open intentionally, and Bruce Wayne and Anton escape, only to be acquired, uh, only to be essentially picked up by uh, Avery who reveals her secrets to him and, and, and she begins to train both Avery, uh, pardon me, to train both Bruce and Anton. And it's interesting because she, she, she wants to teach them deception and she gives them different, uh, she gives them a con, she makes them compete with each other. And, and, um, she's really good at manipulation and disguise and, uh, uh, she has a, she has what she refers to as a cave where she goes to to spend her time, and she keeps she keeps various. Uh, it's interesting that uh, you could see right away that where Bruce Wayne might come up with the idea of a bat cave, or at least a cave, because this Avril Blonsky she has her own room where she gets she says she gets to be herself, and she's got her own little cases where she's got her different masks that she's worn in her various adventures. So she's kept keepsakes from her various adventures, just like we know that. Bruce Wayne will, Batman will, later on in his uh, crime-fighting life, he will keep uh, uh, various <laughs> various keepsakes and various items from his various adventures. You can see where, where a lot of these ideas or habits were maybe implanted in Bruce's heads. And in any event... Uh, this this issue uh, again. This issue. Trip Sardaski does a good job here of nailing down the dialogue. Uh, good rapport between Anton and Bruce Wayne and a and this Avery Oblonsky, who's training both of them <clears throat> in the art of deception and what have you. Nothing really profound here. They're they're just basically told to go and essentially at at first the, the first contest is 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 to essentially just. Uh, seduce others, you know, be pickup artists. And you can see maybe the beginnings and the rumblings of Bruce Wayne learning to be a playboy. One of the things that's played up here is that Bruce Wayne isn't very good. He's not, that Anton is much better at it. Anton, again, who we suspect is the future ghost maker. Anton is, it's 
clearly implied is bisexual here. And it hints that Anton has some attraction to Bruce Wayne. And we know that Ghostmaker is also bisexual because we saw that in the backup features uh, of the Ghostmaker backup in Batman. And so the hints here of some bisexuality in terms of the, the methods and seductions used by uh, Anton is it's very subtle and it's well done. It's well scripted by Trip Sardaski and, uh, and, uh, and uh, Di Gio DeMonico on the art does a really good job of conveying that as well. And it's Anton's bisexuality that Bruce Wayne uses against him at the end of the issue where in order to win the uh, challenge that Avery puts both of them on to try to obtain a particular uh, book, uh, Bruce Wayne utilizes, you could tell Bruce Wayne knows that Anton maybe has some attraction, latent attraction toward him, and he uses that. And so there's a hint there, and you're going to, you're going to have, you're going to have people online are going to be, Bleeding Cool's already talked about, oh my God, is, is Bruce Wayne bisexual? Well, he's not. He just, he, he deliberately sort of, pl- uh, uh, plays with and manipulates Anton in order to get the book from him. And he he ends up ultimately winning the contest. So they each end up winning a, a challenge at the end of this issue. And it's, I, you know, I, I thought it was well done. It wasn't, it, this wasn't a big deal. This wasn't like it was, uh, this wasn't like it was uh, anything even remotely, you know, provocative by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I can, uh, uh, it's on top of the page here. Uh, it might look like Anton's going in there for a kiss, but it's, <laughs> it's not, it's just, it's just Bruce Wayne sort of playing him and manipulating him and doing a masterful job. And you would expect uh, Bruce Wayne to be able to do that. I mean, after all, Bruce Wayne becomes the playboy, uh, master, uh, Bruce Wayne, uh, billion, billionaire philanthropist. So Bruce Wayne knows his way around seduction. I mean, so this shouldn't really surprise anybody, but I mean, I suppose as, as, this might be the first time in canon that Bruce Wayne has ever uh, perhaps hinted at uh, or you know manipulated another man with his sexual uh, uh, in you know wiles uh, in order to obtain an objective. But again, really not a big deal in my mind, and it just shows that you know Batman will do whatever it takes. <laughs> Are there any boundaries this guy won't cross? I don't know, but I enjoyed this. I, I thought this was you know again this isn't really breaking any new ground. One of the things, uh, if it's a criticism here, I, th- I would have liked to have seen Chip Sardaski been a little bit more uh, provocative, ha- have them learn something a little bit more in-depth than just, this is very surface-level learning. I mean, this is something that you could pretty much get from reading a pickup artist book. I mean, this is, I don't really see this as being, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't really see this as being, um, I was I was hoping the writing would be a little bit more in-depth. I mean, this is training at an international high espionage level. And this really, this didn't really seem to be that at all. It seemed very Mickey Mouse. And I, I'm not really getting a sense of this Avery Oblonsky. I mean, you know, teach them something about masks, which she finally does at the end here. She says the next thing she's going to teach them is the art of creating masks, creating actual disguises uh, to, to fool people as opposed to this, what's happened in this issue. So this issue you could probably have skipped over. Uh, this is probably, but, but there was, again, there's some nice moments here between Anton and Bruce Wayne. And I think that, I think it's quite clear here that, that DC is really building up. This Anton is almost guaranteed to be Ghostmaker. I would be surprised if he wasn't. And it's really sort of building up to be precisely that. 
And I actually find that this Ghostmaker is, is being developed into what is actually kind of an interesting character. I'm, I actually like Ghostmaker. I like his backup. Uh, I like the backup feature in the pages of uh, Batman. Uh, the art wasn't necessarily the greatest in that backup feature, but I, I, I like this new character, Ghostmaker. I'm pretty sure this Anton is, is he. If he isn't, well, then I'd be very surprised. Uh, but in any event, Chip Sardosky's putting a lot of things in place here. Got to remember that Chip Sardosky's the new writer on Batman. And so there's a lot of interesting things here that might come into play as we, as we move forward. But in any event, that takes care of uh, Batman the Night. Now, the next issue that we're going to be talking about is Catwoman issue 43. Now, I got to tell you, this, uh, first of all, let's talk about this cover. I, I love this color. Harley and Cat, eight wheels, nine lives. Wow. Sexy cover. Gorgeous, sexy cover. And the cover A cover at that is gorgeous. And of course, the cover B by uh, Jenny Furzen. Uh, looks amazing. Jenny Furzen is a, is a really good artist. But I got to say this, this cover A with this roller derby thing, roller derbying is something that is, uh, when you think of, it's probably more uh, akin to what you would expect in a Harley comic. But it's nice to see uh, Teeny Howard uh, incorporate some Harley Quinn in her in her Catwoman stories. Actually, I, I think this is actually, a, uh, this was actually a, a decent story. And, uh, it's introduced a new character by the name of Red Claw at the end of this. So speculator alert, first appearance of a new female character, Red Claw, who will be an arch enemy, uh, an arch enemy of Catwoman. And hey, man, uh, this is, uh, you know, basically after her adventure of humiliating the Black Mask, Black Mask, it starts off here, apparently Black Mask has uh, some other members of the mob who sympathize with Black Mask and are prepared to take, uh, to to nonetheless, despite Black Mask being humiliated by the other four crime families, uh, they are prepared to try to take out and kill Catwoman. Well, Catwoman is aware of this, and she knows that it's probably a good idea for her to just take off and uh, leave Gotham for a while. And uh, she decides to go on a road trip with uh, Harley Quinn. What better person to go on a road trip with than Harley Quinn? I know I'd like to go on a road trip with Harley Quinn. I don't know if I'd survive it, but man, it would be a lot of fun. But Teeny Howard here does this the story. Uh, Bengal on the art. Uh, Jordi Blair does the colors. Tom Napolitano on the letters. And Jeff, uh, Jeff uh, uh, DeCall on the cover. Fantastic cover again. Well, Harley Quinn, Harley decides to tell uh, Selena saying, look, why don't we, let's go roller derbing, derbing, let's have some fun. And Selena says, well, what the hell? Why don't we do that? And that's exactly what they end up doing. And, uh, and really this, this is just a fun, this is a fun comic. It's not, I, I gotta say, not a heck of a lot happens per se. I mean, there was a, there was a, they end up being attacked by someone who they're not really sure who it is, but attacked by a guy who is trying to get a hold of them and we never see who this guy is so i think teeny howard is trying to play the is is keeping the identity of this person that is attack who keeps attacking catwoman and harley she's trying to keep the identity of that person close to her vest so to speak and uh so again they keep traveling this this person who's trying to I guess injure them, tries to 
trying to take them out, is attacking them. They avoid them. The he, Catwoman and Selena, uh, Catwoman and Harley manage to avoid him, and they get a hotel room together. And uh, right away, I'm thinking, hey, what's going to happen here? I mean, Teeny Howard has uh, Teeny Howard clearly likes the uh, uh, the Valentine. Uh, era of Catwoman, uh, where Catwoman embraces some bisexuality. And clearly there's hints of Catwoman's bisexuality here as well. Uh, her and uh, Harley Quinn, they spoon together on the bed. And the wording here is very interesting. The wording is, uh, as, Cat, as Selena spoons Harley, she says, it's been a while since I've slept next to anyone and she needs the comfort as bad as I do these days. And Harley is soft and smells like cotton candy and girl sweat. But both our hearts are elsewhere. And there's a kind of, and there's a kind of bad that even we don't want to be. So, ooh, I, you know, uh, Selena, why not be bad? I mean, you're not with Bruce. Bruce isn't around. Batman's not around. Harley, Poison Ivy's not around. Why not? Catwoman, Harley. Good scene here. Uh, I like what Teeny Howard does here. These are two sexy, gorgeous, bisexual women spooning each other in a bed. Um, I got to tell you, if I didn't know better, I would think maybe Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor wrote this, but I actually like the scene. I think uh, <laughs> there's a sexiness to it and there's a little bit of intimacy to it. These two have respect for each other, and I, I think it works. And it actually it put a smile on my face because I am a Purient fanboy. And, uh, you know, hey, what's not to like? How can anybody complain with a scene involving Selena Kyle and Harleen Quinzel sleeping in the same bed together? Come on. Uh, uh, and, it, and it actually stayed PG. You know, who, who would think? In any event, the next morning after they go, they go to the roller derby. And Selena is actually not a bad, she's not a bad uh, a roller, roller derbist. Is that what you call it? When you're really good at roller derbying, what do you call it? You're a roller derbist? A roller derber? A roller derbist? I don't know. I'm just making that up. Uh, I would ask Harley, but uh, I would have thought Harley would have answered that question in this issue, but she does not. But in any event, uh, there's some good action sequences here, good, good dialogue. But again, you know, it's just, it's Harley, it's Harley and Catwoman sort of getting to know the other members on the roller derby team. Conveniently, they, they were, they're two people short, so, and they need to win. And, uh, uh, again, uh, a, a lot of very good art here. I, I mean, I enjoy the art. There's, there's, there's a sexiness to the characters. I, I like the coloring here by, uh, Jordi Belair. I think it works and it, uh, there is, there's, there's a lot of fun to be had in this issue. This, this issue feels demonstrably different than the first story arc that Teeny Howard did. Teeny Howard did. It, this is definitely the fun issue. This is much more lighthearted. I think a lot more, uh, a lot more fun, fun, lighthearted. Uh, it has some sexiness in it, some intimacy in it, and some little bit of tits and pieces for Purian fanboys like me. I actually enjoyed it. And you got you got some Harley Quinn elements that I'm sure Teeny Howard liked to throw in there. I actually enjoyed this. I, I enjoyed this issue. And then as uh, there's a particular spot where Harley tells Selena to go, you know, take a breather, take a breather from the Roly Derbring, go into the locker room, have some water, relax. And that's where she's, con where Selena is confronted by Red Claw. And, uh, she, Red Claw tells Selena, you have more to fear from me than from any man. And this Red Claw, she looks very muscular. 
And uh, I think this was a very intentional artistic choice because Red Clara looks like a very muscular woman. She looks more muscular than, than Selena. Both Selena and Harley don't look particularly mus muscular, um, uh, muscle bound. They look very feminine. But this Red Claw looks like a woman with a little bit more musculature to her and, of course, looks gorgeous and red. Look, looks to be carrying a weapon of some kind. And I, I don't know if she's wearing rollerblades, but she has a tattoo with that is obviously a red claw tattoo on her right shoulder. Interesting. What's, what's, uh, where's this going to go? I don't know, but I'm interested in it. Hey, man, Harley Quinn, Catwoman, a bunch of uh, women on a, at a roller derby. <laughs> this, this is a lot of fun. If I didn't know better, I would think I was reading a Harley Quinn comic, but I got to tell you, after reading this, I wouldn't mind Teeny Howard writing a few issues of Harley Quinn. Uh, you know, and maybe uh, Stephanie Phillips writing some Catwoman. Why not? Switch it up a little bit. But uh, in any event, I enjoy this issue. And I think it's, uh, I, I think, I think people, if you, if you weren't on board with uh, Teeny Howard with the Black Mask storyline, which I think you should have been, because I thought it was reasonably well done. I think if you enjoyed, uh, if you enjoy good humor and you, you like Harley Quinn, this is kind of a must buy, I think, for this week. All right. So, all right, next issue that we're going to review is uh, Shadow War Zone issue one. Wow, what to say about this? Well, look, we know that the Shadow War has begun. And uh, we know that uh, with the Shadow War, somebody has killed Razo Gull. The prime suspect uh, is, is Deathstroke. And Talia Gall has sent the entire League of Shadows, League of Assassins, League of all the leagues that. Talia Al Ghul controls. She is sent to kill uh, to kill Deathstroke. Uh, sorry about that, but I do need to have a drink. I'm not used to doing all the talking. I, I can't pass the buck to Jace. <laughs> but in any event, Shadow Warzone. This is essentially a one shot here. One of the things in the preview copies that we get, it's it's never clear. There's never a price tag on this, but uh, there's there's a there's a large number of issues here. Um, I'm trying to think. It doesn't actually have the numbers on it. Or does it? Uh, yes, it does. It's it's about 43 issues. 43 pages. Pardon me. 43 pages long. And the, the opening story is about Angel Breaker. This new character, Angel Breaker. That's very interesting. Because this Angel Breaker character... This is a Black Canary story called Old Friends... And it's written by Joshua Williamson, art and color by Otto Schmidt. And it's well scripted. It's well scripted and it's beautifully drawn. Black Canary looks hot, gorgeous, and, you know, riding a motorbike. She looks amazing. If I have one criticism on the art by Otto Schmidt, the motorcycle's got to be more cool. Black Canary needs a more interesting motorcycle. It's got to be more cool. If Batman can have... Well, Batman has all cool toys, but... Give Black Canary a cooler looking motorcycle than that. That looks fairly average to me. But in any event, Black Canary is on the hunt for Deathstroke because he's the prime suspect of who killed Raza, Raza Gull. Now, Black Canary is driving wherever, following some leads, and she's, she's interrupted and she's intercepted by Angel Breaker. Now, Angel Breaker is a new character to me. And I'm not, maybe it's... Um, I'm not familiar with Angel Breaker. Maybe some of you are. 
maybe and if those of you who are feel free to leave comments in the in the uh, down below in terms of uh, the origins of Angel Breaker. All I know is that I'm interested in who she is because she appears to have a history with Black Canary. They seem to know each other and they seem to know each other reasonably well. So much so that Angel Breaker basically tells Black Canary that look, we want we, I want you to join us. Join the league Help us take down Deathstroke. But Black Canary says, look, I'm going to take, I'm, my goal isn't to kill Deathstroke. My goal is to bring Deathstroke to justice. Because you remember that Black Canary, at the beginning of the Deathstroke series, Black Canary and Deathstroke, Slade Wilson, were working together. And we also know that Slade Wilson is aware that, uh, we know that Slade Wilson, number one, did not kill Rosal Gold, that he was set up. And number two, we know that Slade Wilson is had a vision of the great darkness. We, he knows that something is coming and that formed part of Deathstroke's motivation to take over the secret society of supervillains. Now, while he's taken over the secret society of supervillains and he's planning for the great darkness and while the Justice League is being killed, all of a sudden, boom, Ra's al Ghul gets assassinated and Deathstroke's the primary, uh, is the primary uh, suspect. And of course, let me just back up a bit. This is before the Justice League is killed because Batman's still around. But very clearly, uh, a lot there's a lot of moving parts to this. And Black Canary, you could tell that whatever history her and Angel Breaker have, it's, you know, they got a lot of antagonism there because Black Canary wastes no time saying, no, I'm not, I'm just going to, my goal is to take Deathstroke to justice. I'm not going to kill him. And she screams with her sonic canary cry to take out Angel Breaker. But Angel Breaker is a very competent fighter and she has, her sword can actually absorb apparently sonic blasts and return it. Uh, but uh, Black Canary is uh, quite an adept fighter herself. These, this, this was a uh, kick-ass, uh, kick-ass choreo choreography by Joshua Williamson and or maybe he left it all to Otto Schmidt whoever was in charge of scripting this fight did a very good job Otto Schmidt did a fantastic job illustrating it and the coloring is just really bang on here it's really good and uh it's clear Black Canary and Angel Breaker are fairly evenly matched of course Angel Breaker's got that sword and Black Canary has her voice but it's clear that uh, it's clear that they're evenly matched. Before Angel Breaker and Black Canary can finish their altercation, however, uh, Angel Breaker is communicated with by Talia Gall, telling her that look, we know that uh, uh, we've heard that Deathstroke apparently is in Nepal, and so Angel Breaker takes off to Nepal. So now Black Canary knows where everyone's he headed. So Black Canary tells Oracle, "I'm headed to Nepal too." And that's the end of this opening chapter here. And it's going to be continued in Shadow War Omega. One of the frustrating things about the Shadow War with a lot of DC events is that they're fixated on Shadow War Alpha, Omega. And there's sometimes it's very, they don't use numbers anymore and they, they jump around and you really got to be careful in terms of where do you go next to follow a story. I, I should tell you right off the bat that this Shadow War Zone is a series of, of stories that it's really not necessary. You can just read Batman and just read Shadow War itself proper. This this is this Shadow War Zone is not necessary to read any of the stories in this. But if you want to get if you want to get a more full story in terms of knowing who all the player potential players are, it's probably a good idea that you read it. But it's really not necessary. I'm glad I did because I think this Angel Breaker is really cool, kick ass. 
I think she looks hot. I think she looks gorgeous. And of course, Black Canary is gorgeous too. And it sort of expands on Black Canary's rogues gallery. And so that's what I like about it. Uh, although I read a lot of DC, look, I admit, if Angel, maybe Angel Breaker's always been a villain of Black Canary, but I don't remember, I don't ever remember reading about Angel Breaker when I read Birds of Prey. But I got to tell you, I did go through a long stretch there where I used to drink. <laughs> I used to drink a lot. So who knows, you know, in between blackouts and everything else, it's possible that Angel Breaker does in fact have a history in the DC universe. And I literally was experiencing a blackout whilst that happened. But I digress. Now, the next story in this uh, Shadow War Zone is called Inner Demon. It's about with Talia Al Gaul. And it's written by uh, Nadia Shamus and Sweeney Boo does the art and colors with Becca Carey doing the letters. Jessica Berby is the assistant editor and Dave Welgosk is the editor. And this is a story uh, that takes place uh, years ago on the Lazarus Pit where it shows uh, Ra's al Ghul getting out of the pit and uh, his, his daughter Talia, this is when she was younger, and she was very stubborn and she... Uh, she had a good friend by the name of, uh, I guess, is it Alla? I'm I'm trying to, I'm trying to find her name here. Uh, in any event, it's this story is is trying to establish an old friendship that Talia had with, I don't know, a, a, a teenage friend she had when she was a teenager on Lazarus Island. I, I. This is obviously an attempt. This entire issue, Shadow War Zone, is, in my view, clearly trying to establish more players and introduce more characters in the DC universe for these secondary characters. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing in the long run. Uh, is it absolutely crucial now for the Shadow War story? No, but it's clear that probably something might be done with these characters at some point in the future. But this is this entire story here of, of a younger Talia Gall. It's about establishing an old relationship that she had, just a friendship uh, with, uh, I'm trying to find the name here. I, I think her name is, uh, uh, I'm trying to find it. It's so frustrating thing when there's long conversations and no one calls each other by their name. I don't know what this girl's name is. It's, uh, uh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'll find it. Your friend Amal. So she's got a female friend named Amal. I don't, I, again, I, what an odd name for a girl. Amal? 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 In any event, what happens is that Talia, uh, Talia decides to do something stupid. She decides to jump off a cliff and she gets injured and, uh, I don't know if she's just doing that for attention. And Raza Gall punishes her uh, by basically banishing her friend from the island so she doesn't have a friend at all anymore. And then Talia decides that she's going to uh, run off to Lazarus Island. Uh, and she writes a letter to Amal saying, I'm sorry, Amal, I'll find you again someday, but you'd understand, right? Uh, because she decides that she wants to go uh, she wants to go and investigate more of what, about Lazarus Island and sh to speak to her grandmother, who, of course, is Mother Soul, who we met in the pages of Robin. And um, again, uh, 
presumably this is a young about a young Talia learning about the secrets of the Lazarus pit and how she first uh, learned a lot of those secrets from her grandmother, Mother Soul, and how she ultimately ended up uh, in in the formative adventure that led to her meeting and discovering all these secrets that were revealed to her by her grandmother, Mother Soul. That the origin, the foundation of that story was Talia losing her friend Amal, a very close friend that she had when she was a teenager. And that friend Amal will likely make an appearance probably at some future adventure, perhaps even in Shadow War, in order to create another another player who I'm sure will come forward and ultimately be someone, will probably end up being an antagonist or an enemy of Talia. And there'll be that tension there. <clears throat> Again, no indication that the relationship is sexual in nature. It's just a, a friendship here at this point. But you never know in the DC universe nowadays where they're always trying to uh, check off a box. But uh, <clears throat> we'll see. But uh, yeah, so uh, an, the, the final story uh, here, uh, Shadow War Zone, is called Panic Room. It's written by Ed Brizen, pencils by Mike Bowden, inks by Mark Mark Morales, and colors by Antonio uh Fabella and lettering by Alls ALW's Troy Petery. In any event, uh, this is uh, odd. I'm not a fan of Clown Hunter, but this is a this is a Ghost Hunter, a uh, Clown Hunter, a Ghost Hunter and Clown Hunter uh, adventure where Ghost Hunter is just training Clown Hunter, and again, I. I, I'm not, I don't understand. I, I think this was absolutely a waste of time, this adventure. This is just showing that clown, uh, that ghost maker, ghost hunter, sorry, ghost maker. Did I say ghost hunter? I apologize. Ghost makers training clown hunter. And this just is showing how ghost maker after training clown hunter for just a few months is somehow clown hunter is now good enough to defeat four or five ninjas who've been training their whole lives. Absolute nonsense, but you know, it is what it is. You got to prop up clown hunter, but this is a, this is a character who is a murderer. Uh, but I guess ghost maker is a murderer. Clown hunter is a murderer. And Batman who is not a murderer, uh, has no problem forgiving and working with murderers all the time. Now that's the new Batman. I, I only bring people to justice. Uh, I only bring murderers to justice if they don't know martial arts. If they know martial arts and are vigilantes and kill people, I will let them escape and I'll even work with them and train them uh, or have somebody else train them. But if they're just ordinary, run-of-the-mill, unskilled murderers, uh, I will apprehend them and bring them to justice because I'm Batman and I am vengeance or whatever. But that's me being sarcastic. But that's literally what this is. Clown Hunter's a murderer. Ghostmaker's a murderer. There's murderers everywhere. But Batman will only let you get away with it if uh, you are, in fact, a vigilante just like him and you give a fancy speech and you have a life and a formative trauma in your life that led to you uh, killing people. In any event, nothing happens. This is literally just Clown Hunter beating up a bunch of ninjas uh, at the behest of Ghostmaker. That's it. That's it. That 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 literally is it. I uh, uh, 
there's nothing else to say. I, I don't even know what, what you know, they're, they're, the League of Shadows has been hitting multiple targets all across Gotham and Ghost Hunter is just, uh, Ghost Maker, sorry me, Ghost Maker is taking Clown Hunter with him to just stop them. That's all he's doing. It's a complete waste of time. I mean, we, I mean, I guess no wonder it's shoehorned into this story, but it's really not necessary at all. Um, the, I guess there is another story here. Uh, yeah, I, I thought if you thought the ghost maker story was uh, a waste of pages. Wow. Wait till we get to the next one here. This is a waste of pages. Uh, and it consists of Harley Quinn with an, uh, in an adventure written by Stephanie Phillips. Um, where Harley Quinn is just, um, she's in Gotham and she's just beating up a bunch of people. I'm not even, and again, I, I don't, she's just beating up a bunch of ninjas because apparently the League of Assassins, Talia Gall, she's sending them out everywhere. This is what doesn't make any sense about this at all. She's sending them out literally everywhere. She's, Talia is sending these League of Assassins people out to places where she has to know Deathstroke is nowhere near. I mean, Tally is not this stupid, but in order to make this storyline work and these multiple stories work, I guess we got to assume Tally is an idiot and sending out their League of Assassins. I mean, she doesn't even have that many League of Assassins, that many assassins that she can send them out willy-nilly everywhere. And really, come on. Like Harley Quinn against 10 ninjas. Sorry, Harley, you ain't going to stand a chance. Neither is Clown Hunter for that matter. Come on. But in any event, uh, what's interesting about it is that at least at the end of this, Harley, uh, after running around, being up a bunch of ninjas, and again, kind of like superfluous dialogue, useless dialogue, no real story here. There's She's being spied on by uh, Lashida. And who is Lashida? Well, uh, Lashina. Lashina is one of uh, the female Furies. And Lashina is one of the female Furies and is, is kind of a cool character and has made an appearance in the Harley Quinn comic from time to time. And uh, might be something potentially interesting there. But why does she show up on the last page? We literally have... There is... Uh, I'm sorry, but there is... Uh, uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do this here. There is literally 10, 10 wasted pages here of Harley Quinn just walking around with a bat and uh, ninjas in a, in a, this is called ninjas at the arcade. She's in an arcade fighting ninjas. And then at the end, Lashina shows up. It's discovered that Harley Quinn is being spied upon and Lashina wants to confront Harley for some reason. Okay. But again, this is, this is precisely the type of stuff that I wish there was more substance to this story. I, I really do. Um, the art's okay. Uh, art by Anne Molina. It's actually, I, I find the art not bad. I I, I personally wish the art was less, um, I think this art is inappropriate for given the fact that we're dealing with uh, Shadow War. This looks like something we'd see in a children's comic. Uh, this is something I'd see akin to uh, like the little, you know, young Diana. This is this is inappropriate for the mood and the tone of Shadow War. And it's Harley Quinn, none of this, are, are we supposed to, are we being asked not to take Shadow War seriously? Uh, are, we, are, are we being told to abandon verisimilitude 
and I guess consider the whole thing one great big joke uh, just because Harley's in it. This is the exactly the type of stuff. This is the problem with Harley in the DC universe. If you're going to have Harley engage in this type of humor and nonsense, that's all well and good. But maybe separate her and put her, give her her own universe. So, but if you're going to have Harley in the DC mainstream DC universe, she should, in my view, be treated more seriously uh, than she is often depicted. Uh, and uh, that's just the way I feel about it. Because you can have different incarnations of Harley. You have the Harley Kiss Bang, Big Bang Boom, and the cartoon and what have you. But there's different iterations of Harley. And the failure of Harley in the mainstream DC universe is that she's all over the place. She's uh, drawn very seriously and introspective one moment and then like a complete goofball, crazy person the next. And it's really, really jarringly out of sync. And I think it's jarringly out of sync in this backup here. But I know that uh, I suspect if Jason was there, he'd say I'm, I'm overthinking this way too much. This is just uh, Stephanie Phillips. This is absolutely consistent with Stephanie Phillips' iteration of Harley Quinn in her comic book. And I, and, and I get that and, and, and I respect that, but I'm not... I'm not really sure where this is. Uh, I'm not really sure where this is going or how this fits, and it just feels out of place. To be honest with you, it feels really out of place. But it is what it is. Uh, um, ho hopefully, this is. It ends with Lashina. I'm really interested to see what Lashina brings to the table. She's a female fury, but f female furies are angry. They're bitter. They're 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 kick ass female angry women and. In a Harley Quinn comic, it was out of place when they made an appearance with Harley to begin with back uh, when they appeared. And I, I maintain that's still the case now. If, if to me, if you let's put it this way, if you travel, if I travel to Australia and I stay in, to us in Australia for a month and I come back after one month in Australia, what's more likely? Am I going to sound Australian or are millions of Australians going to sound Canadian? I suspect I'm going to sound Australian. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the female furies, when they enter into a Harley book, they become zany and crazy and they, they lost their characterization in my mind. But in any event, I digress. Hopefully that won't be the case here in the next, uh, wherever this goes. But finally, that's the end of Warzone. So, all right. So now the next comic we are going to be reviewing is Nightwing number 92. Uh, let me see. Ah, yes. Here we go. Nightwing number 92. Tom Taylor with art by Bruno Redondo and Adriana Lucas on the colors. Uh, so much to say, uh, a little bit of sarcasm there about Nightwing, Tom Taylor's Nightwing. I maintain, uh, first of all, let me just talk about the colors here. We got, uh, Batmite. It's not Batmite. What's the name of his dog? What's the name of his dog? Bitewing? It's Bitewing, isn't it? Uh, I forget what it is. But bite, Bitewing. We'll go with Bitewing. <laughs> Whatever. Of course, uh, you know, isn't it interesting that uh, Dick Grayson is the only member of the Bat family that's not by? <laughs> <laughs> if I, you know, whatever uh which is ironic because i think if ever there was a character where the gay community wants one member of the bat family to be gay it's probably dick grayson but i digress <clears throat> um in any event uh one thing about tom taylor is uh he 
he's really good on these uh, on the character moments. And this issue again, he does the same thing. A lot of character moments here. Uh, it's a flashback between Robin and his younger years when he's. Uh, it's a flashback with Robin, you know, uh, with Bat with a younger Bat girl, a younger Barbara Gordon, and a younger Dick Grayson as Robin and Bat girl taking on some bad guys. Uh, and Robin disobeys Batman, uh, runs headfirst to, into a, a group of uh, gangsters to protect somebody and ends up getting injured. Batman wants to uh, confront uh, Dick Grayson while he's recovering from his wounds. Alfred interjects and won't let, insists that Bruce Wayne, don't you dare talk to him that way. You know, he's doing this. He take off the cowl and leave your disapproval at the door or do not enter. You know, the, he needs healing right now, not admonishment. So Alfred is really giving Batman the gears and, you know, reminding Batman that he's just a boy. And, uh, but you can, you can see Dick Grayson's passion about trying. He, ref, you know, he refuses to give up uh, and he, he, he at least tries. He can't sit idly by while innocence gets hurt and he will defy even Batman uh, in order to help people. And that's, that's the Dick Grayson that we know and love. And that's, and these, these opening pages are Tom Taylor reminding the reader of this, reminding us of this in a great sequence, again, uh, beautifully drawn by, uh, uh, beautifully drawn by uh, Bruno Redondo. I mean, very, very well done. There's, there's, there's no question about it that this is a very well, this is a very well drawn comic book. And uh, I just want to confirm that because the art looked a little different. But no, the uh, Bruno Redondo does the full art. But I say this: we didn't actually need that. I mean, so the for, so for the first ten pages, we get a flashback, and a. a and, and let me just be blunt here. While I enjoyed the flashback, it was a complete, it was completely unnecessary. Do, does anybody, does any reader really need to be reminded that Dick Grayson likes to try really hard to help people? Well, no, we know that. What we need in this storyline is a progression of the plot. That's what we're not getting. So, now, so again, I said this to Chase last week when, or weeks ago when we reviewed well, past issues of Nightwing, I'm torn between really enjoying these character moments, but also simultaneously feeling frustrated that we're not getting any plot progression because these these uh, these story moments are really good. These these flashbacks are are cool, it, and and they're you know they they tug a little bit at the, at the heartstrings. But but I gotta admit this one this one didn't. It was unnecessary. Do do we need you know? We know Bat we know who Batman is by now. We don't need another reminder of this, but we keep getting it. And but but at the same time, this is where I'm gonna be a little bit of a hypocrite and a little bit paradoxical here that I do like this moment. So I can never say that these issues are bad by Tom Taylor, because they're good. But I do get frustrated at the lack of actual plot progression, uh, because we've we've wasted 10 issues on a flashback that is completely unnecessary for this story. Totally unnecessary. We could have got 10 extra pages of plot progression, but we got a flashback. But continuing on, actually, I'm sorry. It was 11 pages of a flashback. Issue 12 is that we finally, we're finally up to date. It shows, it shows Barbara Gordon and, and Dick Grayson on a date. And Bruce Wayne shows up with his dog, Ace, <laughs> the hound, Ace, the bat hound, which is kind of cool. And again, this is what I mean. These character moments, great dialogue moments. Tom Taylor knows these characters, but how, how much does this plot actually move? But again, 
the character moments are kind of satisfying because we, we get Barbara Gordon and Dick Grayson. We get great dialogue, great rapport between them. Bruce Wayne shows up. He, you know, he's concerned about Dick Grayson. There's a statue that he put up of Alfred uh, of the, for the, in tribute to the Alfie, uh, tribute to Alfred and the Pennyworth Foundation uh, with the inscription on a statue that says, it takes a different hero to help without a mask. And so it's a beautiful tribute to Alfred, beautiful statue of Alfred in the in the park in Bloodhaven, uh, all put up by part of the uh, the Alfred Pennyworth Foundation, the, the philanthropic organization that Dick Grayson formed with the billion-dollar inheritance that he received from the estate of Alfred Pennyworth. And he, while they're in this park with Bruce Wayne and Barbara Gordon, they run into in they run into Blockbuster and Merzuko. Merzuko still playing the role. Merzuko, of course, being it was revealed was Dick Grayson's sister. She's still playing a role. And if what she has rep, earlier represented to Dick Grayson is to be believed, she is actually working sort of undercover with the ultimate goal of taking down Blockbuster. Meanwhile, Blockbuster gave up trying to assassinate Dick Grayson because he was essentially warned by uh, Lady Shiva, of all people, that, look, no assassin is going to help you anymore because, you know, Dick Grayson is officially off limits because he's got too many connections and most of the assassins, many of them have been taken off the playing field by the by the Hero Heroes Network thanks to the, the BS that you've put in place here. Well, so we get some, we get some, uh, we get uh, basically, uh, we get Bruce Wayne and Blockbuster exchanging hard glancers and basically, you know, it's like they're comparing dick sizes to each other. It's like, you know, like, you know, my truck's bigger than your truck. Like, come on. Uh, but, you know, again, good dialogue, interesting moments. Superman, son of kal John Kent shows up and, uh, you know, he, uh, of course it's, you know, Tom Taylor's really good at, uh, because he's he's writing Superman, Son of Kal-El, he's writing Nightwing. Uh, he's he he utilizes both those characters very well. Meanwhile, we got uh, some shenanigans going on. Uh, there's uh, you know, uh, Dick Grayson is fighting crime as Nightwing uh, at night, and he is uh, you know he's he's not just he's not just stopping the criminals. He's actually uh, Sorry, I have to drink some water. He's not just stopping the criminals. He's actually revealing their identities. Uh, criminals that go around with ma wearing masks, he takes their masks off. And he he films them. And uh, with the help of Oracle, of course, uh, their identities are revealed online. Meanwhile, Blockbuster, uh, wallowing in a pit of despair, having no idea how to effectively stop Nightwing, finds his men brutally assassinated by uh, by Heartless, by the villain known as, I think it's, his name is Heartless. He's the one that's been ripping hearts out of uh, homeless people. And he basically tells, uh, he tells Blockbuster that he knows how to handle Dick Grayson. He actually saw Blockbuster in the park with Dick Grayson. So who is this Heartless? Is it, is it a, this, the mystery is who is Heartless? Is it somebody that we already are familiar with? Is it a character that we've already become familiar with? If it is, it's going to be interesting to know who it is. He has a proposal for Blockbuster. And because if Heartless wants to take out Dick Grayson, uh, Heartless has to know that he's got to do it carefully because Blockbuster certainly knows because the entire uh, hitman, uh, hitmen of the world are staying away 
from Bloodhaven. They're not. They don't want to take the contract that Blockbuster has up there, and La Lady Shiva doesn't even want to take it. So you know, there's a lot in play here. So uh, again, n not a lot. I mean, the only thing that happened in this issue is Heartless makes his way over to Blockbuster and he wants to make a proposal to Blockbuster. So in terms of advancing the story, that's the only substantive thing that happened in this entire issue. Is Heartless approaches Blockbuster and says, "I have a proposal for you." The rest are is literally just character moments, which again is cool. But the character moments don't actually advance the story all that much. So again, it's it's a double-edged sword. I like the character moments, but at the same time, this is a ploddingly slow, uh, a very ploddingly slow uh, plot line. So there you have it. So uh, now the next comic book that we're going to be reviewing is Fables. Uh, and this is the the last one, uh, and this is Fables issue one fifty one. Now, uh, this is one where uh, I'm a huge uh, Bill Willingham fan, uh, and I'm also a Mark Buckingham fan, and uh, I'm a huge Fables fan. So, uh, Fables ended in in two thousand and seventeen. Issue one hundred and fifty of Fables came out, and that effectively ended the series. And I got to tell you something that for those of you who don't uh, haven't read Fables, I can tell you that the when, when Fables ended in two thousand seventeen, it ended with a hundred one hundred and fifty issues under its belts, under its belt, uh, with uh, no less than at least uh, I think it was. Uh, it, it had at least, I believe, nine spinoff series, 14 Eisner Awards, and an audience that was uh, estimated to be even larger than what its uh, sales would suggest. It, not only did you have Fables that came out at that time, there was another series, Jack of Fables. There was Cinderella from Fable Town with Love. There was A Thousand and One Nights of Snowfall. There was Fables, uh, The Last Castle, which was a hardcover. Fables, Werewolves of the Heartland, another hardcover. There was Fables, The Wolf Among Us, which was based, which was a comic book series based on the video game. There was The Unwritten Fables, which was, The Unwritten was another vertical title. There was also Fables as part of the Unwritten mythology, written by Mike Carey. Uh, there was a, a Fables novel uh, that I read, Peter and Max. Uh, and there was also The Literals, which was a three-issue miniseries. And I got to tell you that they, the Fables universe is rich in, in history. And what is incredible here is that issue 151 literally picks up exactly where issue 150 left off. And this is, and this is essentially, I mean, like after, uh, uh, what is it? A five, five year hiatus or, or more. I mean, it's just incredible. And I, I got to tell you here that, um, I'm really, uh, I'm intrigued by this because, um, in this issue, uh, let me just uh, let me say this because for those of you who don't know much about fables, let me tell you this uh, as a little bit of background. Fables is hmm. uh, wow. Fables takes place in a in essentially a universe where all the fairy tale uh, characters uh, exist, but the but the main world is does not is not aware that the that these creatures that these characters exist in real life. Snow White and the Big Bad Wolf, Red Rose, Prince Charming, the Beast, 
Uh, Jack be nimble, Jack be quick, Jack jumped over the candlestick, that Jack, uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, all those Jacks, the same person. Uh, you got, <laughs> you got, got Bluebeard, you got the three blind mice, you got Cinderella, you got Goldilocks, you got all these characters, you got the three bears, you got the three little pigs. All of these characters actually exist and they exist because of the power of belief. And the more, the stronger the mainstream belief in these in these characters in fiction, the more powerful they actually are in real life. So Snow White is one of the hardest characters to kill because of the strong belief in her existence. So many people believe in Snow White because of the Disney movies that the actual existence of Snow White, she's a very powerful force amongst the fables. And the fables, in they have a headquarters, they had a headquarters in New York City, and they existed in a place called Fable Town, which was basically shrouded in, with sort of an invisible shield that no one could see the fables. And the fables referred to us ordinary folk as the, the mundanes. We were the mundies. We were the mundies. And uh, mundies being that we were normal humans, but we couldn't see them unless they wanted us to see them. Well, to make a very, very long and cool and, and interesting story short, issue 150 of Fables ended with the fable's existence being revealed to the world and that the and that the image and that sort of like the cloakingness of that was covering up the fables was essentially destroyed and Cinderella ended up being killed in a battle against Toten Kinder who was sort of like the wicked witch that killed Hansel and Gretel and uh uh you had uh, the the big bad wolf and Snow White managed to uh, uh big bad wolf Bigby managed to defeat the Beast of Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Snow White and her sister Red Rose had their sort of battle, although it wasn't really much of a battle. But they ended up parting company and moving their, uh, you know, Red Rose went and sort of formed her own Camelot. Snow White, uh, Snow White and the Big Bad Wolf and their five children uh, basically went off into the Black Forest and, and to start a new life. And meanwhile, King Cole was, was, dealing with the revelation of the Mondays, uh, revelation of the fables to the, the real world. And so the fables existence is revealed to the world at the end of issue 50. And that's how it ended moving forward. And so issue 150, 151 here picks up where that leaves off. And it starts off with King Cole basically talking to reporters, telling them about, you know, about the fables, telling them that, yes, we've lived among you a long time, but most of the fables, most of uh, us fable creatures, we've moved off to other other realms, other dimensions, and we've gone back to homes, and we've lived in various places all over the place. Meanwhile, there's a new adversary. There's a new arch villain here. And we don't know who this villain is, but he is someone who is very upset that the fables uh, have revealed themselves to the world. He's very upset about it because, and so he feel, this new villain believes that there should be a reckoning. And this new villain apparently has Tinkerbell as a, as a, as a confidant who flies beside his head. It's very interesting. Meanwhile, this particular chapter one is called the Black Forest. Now, the Black Forest here is where Jack of the Green, a new female character called Jack of the Green, that is sort of a uh, an embodiment of the spirit of the of the forest is she's she's the new spirit of the forest and she wants to sort of uh, exert her dominance in the forest and meanwhile these squirrels uh, 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 Polly Squire they come across 
they end up coming across uh, Big B. Uh, they end up coming across uh, Big B Wolf and Snow White and their children. And Big B Wolf, the Big Bad Wolf, wants to exert his dominance essentially on the forest of the world, the Black Forest. And uh, he, he's probably going to encounter some resistance from the squirrel and the other fairy tale community in doing that because he's never exerted his influence before. Because Big B Wolf is sort of like the dominant archetype of the of the animal kingdom of of the, of, of of all animals, and and his his father was the North Wind, was a very powerful force in his own right. And Big B Wolf is the sort of the embodiment of the North Wind, and his children have different elements of his powers as well, and also have different powers of of Snow White. and And in any event, it's uh, all this is taking shape, and the children have been removed out of New York, and they're cut off from TV, and they Snow White and the Big Bad Wolf, Big B, they want to raise their children in the Black Forest. Now, at the end of this, what's interesting here, for those who don't know much about fables, is that the Black Forest is where the Wicked Witch lives. The Wicked Witch, think of the Wicked Witch of Hansel and Gretel, the Wicked Witch of Cinderella, um, the, uh, uh, the, the Wicked Witch. Think of any fable story where there's a Wicked Witch, and you pretty much have... Uh, the Wicked Witch and Hansel and Gretel, The Wicked Witch and Beauty and the Beast and Rapunzel, etc. This is, it's the same, it's Frau Tottenkinder is the, is the Wicked Witch. And the one, the counterpoint to Frau Tottenkinder was Cinderella. Cinderella was a very powerful force. Cinderella was a secret agent of, the, of Fable Town. She had her own series called, uh, uh, called uh, Cinderella from Fable Town with Love. She was, Cinderella was, actually my favorite fables characters just absolutely kick ass and one of the things that uh, happens at the end of this issue is cinderella comes back to life which is very interesting because cinderella and tottenkinder in issue 150 of fables which was a giant trade paperback issue it was the only issue that was ever released as a trade paperback it was 130 pages long i mean it was issue Issue 150 of Fables was a full-bore trade paperback with a double-spread cover, and it was 130 pages long. It was awesome, and it involved an epic battle between Cinderella and the Wicked Witch, uh, the former Wicked Witch, uh, Frau Tottenkinder, and Tottenkinder literally means child killer. Uh, and in, in any event, uh, they ended up killing each other. Cinderella dies, but before Cinderella dies, she actually takes her, she actually takes the, the end of her high heel glass slipper and pushes it into Tottenkinder's head and kills her with her glass slipper. It was actually pretty cool. It was it was very, I would, for those of you who have not read Fables, man, you're, you're so missing out. You you really have to pick up the series. It, it was, uh, it was, it's really good. And this picks up right where that leaves off. And I couldn't be happier. I, I, I miss the art of Mark Buckingham. The, it's, is I love his art here. It's absolutely fantastic. I want to give a shout out to uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, the entire creative team here, uh, Mark Buckingham, the penciler, and Steve uh, uh, Leola uh, is the inker, and Lee Lowridge, the colorist, Todd Klein, the letterer, and Christina Kalida is a cover artist. Anyways, very well. Uh, opening issue here. It might be. It might seem a little bit 
maybe not entirely accessible to brand new readers, but give it a give it a first few issues here because you get the gist of what you need to know here. All you need to know is that fables have the existence of fables has been revealed to the world. Snow White and the Big Bad Wolf are living with their kids in the forest. Cinderella has returned. There's a new adversary that is upset that the fables have revealed their existence to the world and and the something's going to be happening and we could probably ex- expect that Frau Tottenkinder is going to be returning as well if Cinderella is returned as well. So the witch is uh, the witch has returned, Cinderella has returned. Uh, we got Snow White, Big Bad Wolf. We have this uh we have these uh <laughs> we have this uh, new adversary that's around and we things are afoot and we have this Jack of the Green character which is new so I'm really curious to see where this leads so I'd, I'd encourage everyone to pick pick it up now so that basically covers that now there are a number of other issues that um, that came out this week and I should indicate what they are. There's two other issues. There's the Earth Prime Stargirl uh, issue number four came out this week, as well as uh, Looney Tunes issue 266. I don't have a picture for those on YouTube of the Earth Prime Stargirl number four, although I will say that uh, I believe Earth Prime Stargirl is one of the few uh, few DC or CW uh, titles that hasn't been canceled. I, I didn't suffer as uh, Zaslov's uh, axe, so to speak. Ten different series have been canceled uh, by the CW Network. I couldn't be happier, if I'm brutally honest. I, I didn't like really any of that garbage. I didn't. I, I didn't. Although I've heard good things about Superman and Lois and uh, Stargirl is one of the better ones. Uh, I wasn't really a fan of much else. And uh, I'm just glad. I'm glad that Zaslov's is... is, is some heads are shaking. Discovery is coming in and Discovery's got to shake things up, kick ass and take names. At least it appears that he's got a, I, I, I hope he has a game plan that he, you know, if he, he seems to be just, you know, wiping the table clean. And I hope that since he's wiping the table clean, uh, he's going to, it's going to be interesting to see what he brings to the comic book division. There hasn't been much talk in terms of what's going to happen in terms of the comic book division of DC comics. We haven't heard a lot of people getting fired yet or removed or anything else. Uh, in fact, it seems to me that they keep doubling down on a lot of the, uh, a lot of the creators and writers that they have right now. They seem to be coming out in the future with some more work, and there's even more. Uh, a lot of the names I mentioned today in this review were sort of uh, inexperienced writers and creators, uh, and it's it's I gotta I gotta be honest, it's a little disturbing. Uh, we 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 need we need bigger names on DC titles, and so far in the short term here in the next few months. We're not going to be seeing that. We're just going to be seeing more inexperienced writers, writers which, and I realize writers have to start somewhere, but you shouldn't be starting at DC and Marvel. You should be starting literally somewhere else, either an independent work or something else, and you shouldn't be learning the ropes at DC and Marvel. You should have a little bit more experience under your belt before you get to the big two. But in any event, guys, that's it for uh, the review for uh, DC Comics for the week of May 17, 2022. Uh, shout out to Chase. Uh, um, he will be back next week. Uh, in the meantime, though, uh, thanks for uh, watching. Uh, those uh, watching on the channel Comic Boom and those watching on the Comic Source podcast, I can assure you Jace will be back next week. And I know he wanted to be here, but he's a busy guy. And like me, sometimes we just can't uh, always uh, do this stuff together. 
but uh you know please check out uh my channel comic boom uh hit the subscribe button on youtube it's at comic boom exclamation mark check out the comic source podcast uh Jay says all these, this will be uploaded as a podcast on the Comic Source podcast. Check out his website and uh, check him out wherever you can podcasts are. Uh, you can find the Comic Source podcast. Check it out. Chase does a lot of great interviews with a lot of different creators. He's always working hard, uh, not only in his day job, but also interviewing uh, numerous artists and, and creators from all over the industry. So give uh, definitely uh, check him out. So, that's all I got to say about that. Until next time, guys, uh, take care. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.